You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Tickets for Maine Live are available now. Maine Live is a day of inspiring talks and stories of grit by the business and creative people shaping the future of our state. Join host Dr. Lisa Belisle and 14 mesmerizing speakers who will inspire conversation and connection. This fifth Main Live is on Thursday, September 21st at USM's Hannaford Hall. Go to MainLiveEvent.com for more information and to purchase your tickets. My next guest is an individual who has been on Love Main Radio before in a different capacity. This is Nat May, who is the executive director and co-founder of the Hunoaks Artist Colony, a retreat located in Western Maine that offers time and space for artists to work on their practice. He's also the former director of Space Gallery and has been selected to curate the Portland Museum of Art's biennial exhibition, which opens next year. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. The last time I talked to you, it was about the Space Gallery, and it was probably getting towards the end of your time there. Um, this has been a pretty big transition for you because you were there for many years. I was at Space for about 13 years, that's right. So how's it been? Um, it's been nice to have a change. Um, I was very busy in my work at Space, and um, I have a lot more free time now. Um, I'm rediscovering what it means to cook dinner at home and uh, spend a little more time in my garden. And um, I've had a little more opportunity to work on some projects that I started working on while I was at Space. And Hugh Noakes is one of those one of those projects. It's an artist residency that uh, we started five years ago. And so um, now that I'm um, now that I've left space, I have more time to devote to that and working with the artists there. Well, let's talk about that. Where is Hunox <coughs> located? It's in Lovell um, on the shores of Keezer Lake. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful property that was um, established about 100 years ago by an American painter named Douglas Volk and his wife, Marion Larrabee. He was a... Um, Art an art educator. Um, he was the first president of the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and she was a textile artist. And they uh, fell in love with Maine and wanted to spend summers here, and they created this retreat space for themselves and for their friends to come. And we know that um, John Calvin Stevens spent some time there in the summers. Uh, Marston Hartley spent some time there. Um, and so it has this really rich history of being a place for artists to escape their regular daily lives and come and uh, repose and relax and think and create. How did you get involved? Um, the property was uh, 
given as a bequest to the University of Maine Foundation by the last family member in the Volk family. And uh, there was a, a request in the, in the will that for the first 15 years after Jesse Volk's death, they uh, support art and learning um, with the property. And so um, Joe Malone was working with them and he was on the space board at the time and he waltzed into space gallery uh, one first Friday and saw Jessica Tomlinson and, and me standing in the corner talking about whatever we were talking about. And he said, you know, I have this, I know about this property uh, that's in Western Maine and we need to do something with the arts there. And do you have any ideas for us? And so we went and looked at the property. Uh, Andy Graham um, was on the board at space at the same time. And um, he uh, and his wife, Ann Riesenberg have a, a place on level. So they were familiar with the area. And we just very quickly threw together a proposal um, asking the Humane Foundation to open up some of the cabins for artists to come. There are no studio spaces, but but they are fully functional living spaces with bedrooms and kitchens and, and dining rooms. And it took about a month and they said, sure, this sounds good. So we did a test year in 2012, just inviting artists that we knew would be willing to be experimenting with us because we didn't really know how comfortable it was or how good the facilities were. And then the next year we um, continued and we established a, a more legitimate uh, application process. We invited an independent jury to make the selections for the artists and that's how we've continued ever since. So this is our uh, fifth official summer with the, with the application process. How many people are you able to bring in every year? Um, we uh, can accommodate about 50 artists. Um, we have four cabins that the artists live in and we don't require that people share living space. Um, we do encourage collaborative applications, um, which is not a thing that a lot of residencies are prepared to do. And we do have a couple buildings that are um, big enough for larger groups. So there's a theater collective in Portland called Lorem Ipsum that's been a few times. Um, eight or nine people go and they work on devising their next play together. Um, there was a collective of experimental filmmakers uh, from mostly from the Northeast that had first been brought together by PS1 um, in New York, and they were looking for a place uh, to gather one summer, and so they came. Um, so depending on how many groups there are, we can have 50 to 60 artists there throughout the summer. And we're only open for 14 weeks, mostly because of bugs on the, on the early end and um, cold on the other end. How about you and, and your own creative process? How has leaving space and working on this, opening up a space for other artists in Lovell, how has this helped you with your own creativity? Um, I guess I don't think of it in those terms necessarily. I, I, it takes creativity to make these things work, but um, I really think about myself more as a connector where I am privileged to identify resources that are available and privileged to know about artists that need the resources. And um, somehow it's, it's worked out that I've been able to put those two things together. And um, there's always more need than there are resources. Um, so um, I really enjoy the hunt looking around for um, various kinds of support for the artists, whether it's um, straight up cash or space or time or material support or volunteer labor 
or housing or a meal or a cocktail or um, a little bit of love and feedback or writing about their work or um, helping them edit their artist statement. I mean, there's so many ways people can help artists with their practice. And um, I don't know any artists who are working, concertedly working alone. Everybody needs another human to um, share their work with. And um, you don't have to be a career uh, arts administrator to provide services to artists, which, which is so exciting to me. You know, we see people's families supporting them in their careers, but, but you know, friends and neighbors can also do the same. Well, I, I need to apologize if you took it as though I was saying uh, the work that you do doesn't require creativity. Um, oh, no. Uh, I think that you're right. There's absolutely the sense that we have that people who are artists are, and I'm putting this in quotations, artists mm -hmm. are the ones who are creative, but creativity exists in every field, really. Oh, in, sure. In the type of work that you're doing and the type of work that um, artists do, the type of work that we do on the radio show, really. That's right. So tell me about the work that you are doing with the Portland Museum of Art and um, the 2018 Biennial. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, the museum invited me over the winter and um, it's a totally different scale project than I'm used to, um, partly because museums just work at a different pace and a different timeline than an art space would, would use typically. Um, so uh, they invited me, you know, early in the year with basically with a year's notice to work on this show, which is longer than I'm accustomed to um, in my experiences with Space Gallery. Um, but for the museum, it's a, it feels tight, you know, because a lot of what they're planning is uh, three years out, typically. Um, and so feeling a little bit self-conscious about being a lone voice curator, I asked uh, Jessica May about putting together a, a team that would uh, work on the show together. And she was really um, into that idea. And, and so was Mark Basir. And so uh, Mark and I are working together with Teresa Secord, who's a Penobscot basket maker, who was a participant in the last biennial. Um, and she is a national treasure, really smart woman who knows all about um, Native American arts and, and really indigenous arts nationally and beyond the U.S. borders. And she works as a consultant, um, but also has a really active practice. Um, so it's it's been great having her eye as we're looking at artists and potential, potential uh, participants. Um, and then we also invited Sarah Workna, who's the co-director of the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture, which, you know, is a really well-known institution that's been around for 70 plus years. Um, Sarah lives uh, most of the year in New York City, um, but spends the summers in Maine. And um, I don't know if you know much about their program, but they invite, I think, 60 artists to spend nine weeks there each summer going deep, exploring their creative practice. And, and they really welcome uh, experimentation and artists who are trying new things and it's a totally safe space there for them to just kind of go wild in whatever direction they need to go to go in and um, so Sarah has um, connections to tons of people that that I wouldn't have and knows about tons of folks that I wouldn't have and um, and she has an incredible eye um, and so even last week um, we were having a chat about 
our list of, of folks that we're looking at. And it was so fun to um, really talk about the work that people are doing. And Teresa has her perspective and Sarah has her perspective and I have my perspective. And I think we're, um, and, and sorry, Mark wasn't on that particular call, but you know, of course Mark has his perspective. And um, I think when you're doing this kind of work, it's really important to listen to what other people see and think and feel and um, that's where the curating is actually the most fun. So um, I'm really glad that there's um, a group of smart people working on this with me and it doesn't feel as scary. For those who are listening who don't really know that much about uh, the museum or the biennial, define that a little bit for us. Sure. So the the Portland Museum of Art is the largest museum uh, in Portland. I, I actually don't know if it's larger than the Colby Museum or not, but it's uh, it's been around for a long time. It has an amazing collection of uh, American art, European art um, objects, um, and contemporary art. Um, and this is the 10th biennial uh, for the museum, and the biennial um, is a show that happens every two years um, and it's a group show that is uh, typically inclusive of um, people who uh, live in Maine and work in Maine um, or um, have some other connection to Maine. The, the only operating guideline from the museum, the only directive from them to me was to create something that includes living artists who have a meaningful connection to Maine. And I think that that question of what what does meaningful mean um, is interesting to think about, but not actually that interesting to debate, um, if you know what I mean. Like, it's I'm okay with it being fuzzy. And um, I think what's, what's fun and what's challenging about the biennial is that um, sometimes it feels like it's the best entry point for an artist to experience working with the museum, you know. Not all artists are going to get a solo museum show. There aren't a ton of curated museum shows of living artists that will likely include very many, um, you know, people in a certain area. Let's say so. Um, so I think people see the biennial as their their shot for for um, getting seen um, by the museum and the museum visitors. And so. Um, that's exciting. It's also challenging because there are capacity issues. We can't put everybody in. Um, and, you know, not everyone's ready for that. So um, we're t challenged with uh, putting together a group of artists and works that uh, work well together and that do have that relationship to Maine and hopefully um, will also have enough other threads tying the works together. How many works make it into the biennial every year? Um, well, historically, there have been as many as 70 um, artists um, included, and as few as 17. There was one year where it was small. The last couple of years, there have been about 30. Um, I'm hoping this year that it's in the low 20s. Um, my personal preference is to let the let the work have a little bit of room. Um, I don't want everything to feel too crowded. Um, unfortunately, that does that does feel limiting just in terms of the number of 
people. There's so many artists that meet the criteria um, that are doing really amazing work, and we just we can't include everybody. Um, but that's that's just how life is in almost anything that you work on. Um, and I think it's worth noting too that um, I think sometimes there's this notion that a biennial is this objective uh, evaluation of who's doing what kind of work and that there is this um, rubric that allows us to assign a best of label to the work. And I reject that notion that there is any such objective qualification of artwork that's that's superlative in that manner. I mean, I think you can you can talk about work that's successful or unsuccessful and and frankly we do use the term sometimes this is good or this this doesn't feel like it's that good um, or this is finished and this doesn't feel finished or the artist has fully explored this thing that they're working on or they need to do a little more work but um, I hope that people can open themselves up to seeing the show for what it is and not not jump to that conclusion of oh this is what Nat thinks is the best or this is what what the team thinks is the best because um, there will always be work that might be even my personal favorite or um, really important that just can't can't fit in for a variety of reasons so logistically this show opens up sometime in 2018 late January late January and how long does it run it, it runs until uh, early June, so there's a lot of chance to go and see it. And um, one thing I'm excited to attempt to do is to include some performance. Um, that I don't believe that's something that has been included in the Portland Museum Biennial before. Um, what that means is to be determined. Um, and then um, we've already started having conversations about um, tangential programs and activities and learning opportunities that we can do to complement the show. Um, I think uh, there are always um, folks who are satisfied by looking at, um, you know, visual artwork. Um, There's always also a community of people who benefit from a little more context. Um, And so whether it's um, inviting people in to help interpret what's going on with the show or to be writing about it or to be doing leading discussions. Um, uh, Those are the kinds of activities I think that actually make for a richer experience engaging with the work. Um, And I I also hope that the the show warrants multiple viewings. It sounds like you are looking at art in a really broad way. So you talked about performing arts, and um, it sounds like this is going to incorporate lots of different art forms, paintings, maybe sculpture. Is, is that accurate? I hope so. Um, it should have 2D work of a variety, in a variety of mediums. Um, it should have 3D work. It should have some video multimedia work. Um, because we're talking about an, a smaller number of participants. Um, I'm not sure we'll adequately check off all the boxes of, um, you know, each kind of artwork that's being made. Um, um, And then I guess the other thing I didn't say was that um, we're, as a team, we're particularly interested in um, trying to bring in 
a broader range of voices, you know, from the artists themselves, and um, make it feel like it's a diverse show of um, people, especially folks who maybe aren't um, well represented in the museum world. You know, um, I did I did my own research looking at the the names of the participants um, uh, of past uh, biennials and. Um, I, I, you know, you can't always determine uh, gender identity by the names, but just just thinking um, in a general male to female ratio, it's always been pretty balanced, which I think is a is a positive achievement for a museum. You know, museums t tend to have male dominated collections, uh, male dominated shows, um, and so even just seeing that there's there have been um, a number of women um, included is is a good start. You know, and that I'm proud of the museum for for that. Obviously, it's early-ish on in the process um, as you're doing this now, so I won't ask you to reveal any names of the upcoming biennial, and that'll be a nice surprise for people who go in in January. Uh, who are some of the names that really stand out to you from the last biennial? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, you know, I think that um, For me, it's nice to see people that feel like they're a, it's a surprise to include them. Um, I think two, just two people that just that stood out for me were um, Emily Stark Menig, who did an installation piece that was really quite space consumptive. Um, maybe um, uh, a little bit challenging for some folks to. To, to read and to understand what's going on, but there was a lot, um, a lot in there to look at and to see and to think about. Um, and she's she's younger, and um, I appreciated that um, Allison Ferris thought to include her and her voice. I think she has amazing potential and talent, and I, you know I'm looking forward to continuing to watch what she does. Um, and similar, uh, Miles Spadone um, is a, also a younger artist who makes really beautiful ceramic pieces that are um, non-traditional forms, um, highly, highly refined surfaces, polished surfaces. I mean, just they just look almost like machine-made. Um, and um, it didn't feel like, you know, this is a thing that you would normally see in um, in an art show or a, or in a biennial show or it's not you know I like work like that that doesn't remind you of anybody else's work it feels um, like it, it has some some singular element about it that really makes it stand out so um, I hope we can include um, other folks like that who whose work doesn't feel um, like it's in a category um, or, or in a pool of uh, lots of similar, you know, work. Some people associate museums with painting, essentially. Um, you know, Winslow Homer and some of the other main painters that are currently populating the Portland Museum of Art. You're talking about art in a really broad way, which is the way that um, you probably thought about art when you were at the Space Gallery as well. How do you kind of bridge that divide for people who are 
thinking, I'm going to the art museum, I'm going to see a painting on the wall, and you are going to present them with this biennial as something that's, that's not that? Uh, well, I, th- I think we just have to get them to go there and look, but I don't think, um, I don't even think we need to wait for them to go to a museum to broaden that perspective. And um, I, I do think that we, in whatever we're talking about, we tend to simplify and and um, and um, oversimplify and over-categorize whatever we're talking about, just because it's, it's easier to have shorthand in language, right? Um, even though I might say a thing, I really mean a broader scope of things, but I'm just using the, I'm using the, the short marker. And, um, and unfortunately, those short markers become substitutes for the whole sometimes. So that's why I think when people talk about art, you know, like, um, you know, if you, if you need a graphic representation of art, people always use a brush or a palette. And it's, you know, I don't know how many artists, I'm sure plenty of artists still use brushes and palettes, palettes and paint and oil paint. But what's the percentage of art that's created with those tools? It's, you know, it's not the majority for sure. And so it's always um, a challenge to remind people that there's more there, Um, but it's all around us. And I think we have to, we have to point to it um, all around us. And um, I've had people um, over the years, um, especially in my work at space, when I tell them, you know, what I do for a, a job, People sometimes say, I don't know anything about, or I'm intimidated by, um, I don't know anything about art, I'm intimidated by art. Um, and I try, to th- I try to think about like, what are the intersections with art that they already are encountering? You know, I mean, I, I would argue that when you, when you binge uh, on some new show on Netflix for six hours, <laughs> you're, you're engaging with art pretty deeply. You know, it's, it's, you've got acting, you've got screenwriting, you've got cinematography. I mean, those are, those are, those are real art practices, you know, but we just don't talk about it in that way. Um, uh, so I hope that we can, we can do a good job of inviting people in. I think it's a challenge that museums have generally. Um, and, um, I'm really heartened by the fact that there's a trend in in the museum world and just in art institutions generally to to not just not only think about bringing people in but there's a trend about thinking about how to bring your museum outward um, the PMA is um, opening up their outdoor sculpture garden um, and actually making um, a space in the fence that's traditionally been there so that people can walk in and, and look have a closer look at the work and um, that's huge. That that actually means something a lot, I think, for the community to to feel invited in and ha- take some ownership actually over the the fact that it's there for us to look at. Or even the big seven, the Robert Indiana Seven that sits in front of the museum. You know, that's an art piece that the museum acquired, um, and they put it right out there for us to like look at up close um, and experience. So uh, hopefully, um, even though that's a that's a 2D or rather a 3D object based thing. Hopefully those little moments help us um, expand our thinking beyond Winslow Homer painting, you know, seascape, landscape, etc. Well, I look forward to what you and your group 
are going to come up with for the biennial. So I'll make sure that I'm there in January to see it, 2018. Seems a long time from now, but but it's probably not. It's not, but winter seems like a long time from now, oh, right? <laughs> thank goodness for yeah. that. I've been speaking with Nat May, who is the executive director and co-founder of the Hugh Noakes Artist Colony, and who has been selected to curate the Portland Museum of Art's biennial exhibition, which opens next year. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, it's been fun. Thank you for having me. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.